Hi, hello. Welcome to the Mavs Moneyball Podcast. This is Josh Bo, one of the many editors over at MavsMoneyball.com. Uh, joining me this week, tonight, on a lovely Thursday night, is fellow editor Kirk Henderson. Kirk, what's going on? Not too much. Been working on some posts after taking uh, a little bit of an all-star break. But uh, looking forward to uh, to rounding into the final trimester of the season. Yeah, it's time to get back in the swing of things a little bit after we kind of had our fun with the all-star kind of sideshow activities. Uh, if you've noticed, this is our first episode also in a couple of weeks. Uh, one of the reasons for that is if you're listening to this, this is the first episode as part of our new venture partnering with SB Nation and uh, joining their new uh, podcast uh, initiative. So this podcast will be one of hopeful, hopefully multiple Mavericks podcasts that will show up in this feed uh, over the course of the next couple of weeks. So we appreciate anyone that kind of stuck with us when I first started publishing this on my own and kind of doing it for fun. Uh, I definitely wouldn't have gotten the opportunity to kind of take it forward with uh, SB Nation proper and kind of make it more of like an official podcast, even though I am not, (laughs) I'm still not at that level to call any of this really official, but this is fun. So we're going to keep doing it. And uh, just like a housekeeping kind of thing is that's what we're, we're going to be doing going forward. And, uh, you know, if you're listening to this, obviously, you know, you've got the feed. We'll be redirecting all the subscribers over from the old feed to the new one. So all that should be pretty seamless. But let's get that out of the way. You know, it's time to kind of talk about the Mavs. And since it's been a while since we talked about them, uh, we kind of probably need to go like a state of the union sort of Mavericks address. Uh, So much has happened since the last time we recorded. And if you've been keeping up on the site, we've had a lot of news post analysis about kind of the new look Mavericks and everything that's been going on. Uh, Kirk, I guess I just want to start off with, you know, you are currently writing a piece that will go up tomorrow about 25 thoughts and predictions on the final 25 Mavericks games. So this is kind of top of mind for us right now as the Mavericks go into the home stretch. Now that the all-star breaks over, what is one of the bigger things you're looking for from the team uh, to close the season since the playoffs are kind of out of reach Kristaps Przingis is not going to play. So what are the things that you're looking for uh, to get out of these last 25 games? I mean, the only thing that we can really do with these last 25 games is first, I think we're going to keep an eye on the playoffs, which is what the team is really going to push for. But if they come out of the gates and stumble, then there's really not much for Dallas to do because I, I think the team is probably too good to to tank and to, and not bad enough to really matter. Like they'll probably keep winning in about a forty percent clip. Uh, and and you know so so it's really about watching specific players. Um, you know I I think we should maybe kind of rewind and and you know talk about the fact that the Mavericks traded away four of their five starters in a week span. (laughs) And so the team has basically been brand new for the the final five games before the all-star break. And, you know, when when you look at kind of who's on the roster, who's for sure going to be on the roster next year, who is highly probable to be on the roster next year, it's, it's kind of just looking at those things and trying to figure out where those guys fit uh, and, and, you know, if they fit, along with, you know, 
really kind of projecting towards the future. There's a, the Mavericks are going to have a pretty busy off season, despite the fact that they've hit two home runs with the, you know, drafting Luka Doncic and then, you know, trading for Chris Stapps, Porzingis. So we're really kind of in an exciting time in the, the like midterm future, but the last 25 games might be sort of a slog, which feels strange you know, uh, it, it almost feels like we're we're spoiled to some extent with how exciting things have been. Yeah, for sure. And like you said, you know, keep an eye on the playoffs, even though it might be tough, especially with like the first four or five games coming out of the break, starting with Denver Friday night, then Utah, then the Clippers and Indiana. So, <laughs> we, you know, that might be put to bed real quick. Um, but yeah, and then, you know, they're not really going to tank, you know, even I mean, even if they lost every single game from here on out, they still would probably be what like one of the, not even crack the bottom five worst teams in the league right now. So there's not even much of a point uh, to lose games. So, and yeah, with Chris stops not playing, you know, it does kind of feel like uh, there isn't as much reason to watch, but you know, we can see what Luca is doing with the ball in his hands a lot more since the trade, his usage has gone up considerably as the Mavericks moved Dennis Smith, Wesley Matthews, and Harrison Barnes, and DeAndre Jordan away. Uh, we're getting to see what Dorian Finney-Smith and Maxi Kleba look like with bigger minutes, which has been fun because, you know, that was kind of a thing we've been harping on all year is how these guys probably need to be playing ahead of, you know, guys like Wes or DeAndre or Barnes or at least getting more burn and seeing them play in the starting lineup. You know, the Mavericks might not be winning at a higher rate than they were, you know, before the trades, but – I think a big thing for me is that they they just seem a little bit more aesthetically pleasing with Finney Smith and, and Kleba in the lineup, you know, with two two guys that don't necessarily need shots. They keep the ball moving on offense, and they're really good defenders, you know. Uh, it's not really a fluke, I don't think, with Kleba. He showed it last year in small bursts, bursts and he's been showing it consistently all of this year. And same for Finney Smith. You know, he didn't really get to play last year because of his injury, but, you know, since – Opening night, he has been the, probably the team's most reliable and dependable defender in terms of getting stops and forcing misses and things like that. So that's been fun for me. And then seeing some of the new guys from the New York trade besides Chris Stops, like Tim Hardaway Jr. and Trey Burke and Courtney Lee and then Justin Jackson from the Barnes trade. Just seeing those guys is interesting because, you know, the Mavericks are going to have a lot of room to work with this summer so they could – easily you know sign or acquire you know one or two more starting caliber pieces but it'll be really interesting to see how the guys like Hardaway Jr. or Burke if he comes back you know Justin Jackson will be on the roster how are these role players going to fit in around Luka and are they going to be fit you know are they going to be pieces that the Mavericks look to hold on to are they going to be guys that they need to to get out of the way to sign you know higher caliber players so that'll be interesting and, and it's kind of fun to watch to see the team kind of finally give way to a bunch of guys that are, you know, around 25 years old or younger, uh, or maybe a little bit older in Tim Hardaway Jr.'s case, you know, just knowing that the Mavericks are playing guys that conceivably are going to be on the roster for the next two or three years uh, is kind of fun, you know, with Wes and DeAndre and then Bards with his player option, it kind of felt a little like the Mavs were kind of spinning their wheels this season a little bit because you didn't really know where the team was headed, you know, they had Luca and, and that was where they were going, but you didn't know past that really anything. So it's kind of fun to watch the team now that they kind of have a clear direction of what they want to be and where they're going to go. 
Well, let's let's take a minute and kind of go player by player with the guys starting from the New York trade and and really kind of talk about them. First, obviously, the the headliner is is Chris Tapps. And, you know, it's important to note he's not playing for the rest of the year. Uh, his knee injury is clearly healed, yet he wants to sit out the rest of the season. The Mavericks are interested in having him sit out the rest of the season so he can hopefully get some of the the various like biomechanical issues that he's been having as a seven foot three person might uh, under control. But it's really exciting to have like another capstone uh to go along with Luca, as as I think we we probably talked about in articles, what Dallas has essentially done here is traded Dennis Smith uh, and three first round draft picks for Luka Doncic and Kristaps Porzingis, and that is incredible. Those two together are going to, uh, if if Kristaps is able to remain even like remotely healthy, they're going to be an offensive juggernaut next year. What what do you think about uh, uh, him so far? Yeah, it's really exciting to see Luca not only get a co-star that is not that much older than him, you know, not having to worry about the Mavericks cashing in their chips for maybe an older guy. Um, you know, they, they cashed in their chips for a guy that will fit his timeline and they can kind of grow together. But also, you know, Kirk, you've talked about this a lot. Luca hasn't really gotten to run an offense with a pick and pop guy. You know, he's been playing so many minutes with DeAndre Jordan, who, you know, is a really good rim runner, but, you know, not necessarily a guy that can open up the floor, you know, the middle of the floor, um, because he's, you know, always going to be near the rim. He hasn't played that many minutes with Dirk, you know, as Dirk's minutes have kind of been fluctuating as he's kind of trying to get back into shape this year. So to imagine him playing a majority of his minutes next season with a, a big that can be so elite uh, beyond the three-point line and being able to pick and pop and, and just getting more looks for him, making the game easier for him. Just, I'm really excited about that. And, you know, Kristaps is no slouch, you know, rolling to the rim as well. You know, just a really good finisher, super athletic. But the idea that Luca is finally going to have a pick and pop partner that can maybe open up the lane a little bit, kind of like Dirk did in his prime for a lot of the Mavericks guards, you know, I, I think something we've talked about before and I've definitely written about, you know, Dirk has gotten a lot of guards, maybe average guards, big money contracts over his career when Dirk was in his prime. You know, you think about Jason Terry and, and JJ Barea and, and those kind of guys that Dirk really opened up the floor and, and kind of improved their games, you know, with the spacing he provided, you know, thinking Chris Ops is going to be able to do that for Luca when we've already seen how good Luca can be without that, like to get that in addition to what we're seeing now, plus Luca's natural development, over the course of this summer to to the next season, you know, it really feels like the sky's kind of the limit for this for this duo. I mean, we're, we are assuming that he's going to to sign the contract the Mavericks are going to put in front of him, but there's really no reason to think uh, he'll he'll you know turn that down at the moment. I'm really interested in watching how Tim Hardaway Jr. finishes the season. You know, he was a guy who was horribly miscast up and up with the Knicks in his second go around. He, you know, it is he's a talented player, but looking at what he does, I'm not sure what his his like main skill is. He's clearly a better fit with what Dallas wants to do than Wesley Matthews was. You know, the ball hasn't stuck very much since uh since the trade in the last five games which is really nice because that was what was driving us crazy the most uh in terms of just what the ball stopping going on with Harrison Barnes and Wesley Matthews 
But past that, you know, he's, he's not a great three-point shooter. Uh, he's fairly explosive at the rim. We've seen, you know, kind of both the good and the bad in, in the five-game burst so far. Uh, I, I think long-term his fit is probably with the bench. But if he's, you know, a, a bully ball bench scorer that get that can is capable of giving you, you know, 16 and, you know, and 16 or more points in a given night, that's that's the sort of thing most good teams need. So I, I'm, I'm interested to see how he finishes because it's it seems like he's been in the situation where he's developed, you know, he has the potential to have developed some bad habits the last you know, year and a half. And I hope that's not the case because I think he could be an interesting fit with Dallas. But I do think we have to be careful about the expectations that, that we put on him. Yeah, it definitely felt like he, he was definitely the Kristaps tax. Like the Mavericks couldn't have gotten that deal done unless they took on his big contract. So the Mavericks are kind of stuck with him in a way. But like you said, he does have talent and he fits the mold of what the Mavericks have done in the last five or six years in terms of being kind of a, a mis, uh, misfit toy in the sense of the Mavericks can really, they've done a really good job of taking teams unwanted parts that might not have fit well, or, you know, first round draft picks that didn't develop the way they wanted to. And then kind of taking them and, and taking that talent that obviously earned them that, that high draft spot and, and making it work. You know, you look at something like Seth Curry, he wasn't necessarily a high draft pick, but he had talent that the Mavericks were able to capitalize on that other teams weren't, you know, Alpha Rukaminu, who was a lottery pick uh, and didn't really catch on until, uh, the Mavericks got a hold of him. Brandon Wright, who was a top ten pick, that really kind of didn't have a place in the league until the Mavericks got him. Um, those kind of examples, you know, I could see that being what Tim Hardaway Jr. can be in the sense of he obviously has some talent that was regarded and, and got him drafted, and he's shown it, but it's been inconsistent. And the Mavericks have shown, you know, maybe they aren't great at developing their own guys, you know, outside of what Luke has been doing. But they're really good at developing other people's guys. You know, they've got a track record. You know, remember how good Doug McDermott looked for half a season after that trade last year, you know, and after he looked kind of aimless the previous couple, uh, the previous two or three seasons. So as long as you have some talent and you have a good basketball IQ, which I think Tim Hardaway Jr. has, even with some of the bad, bad jumpers that he takes from time to time, you know, he seems like a guy that kind of gets it. You know, Carlisle can work with that and he'll try to maximize his talent to the best of his ability. And he's got the he's got ability and it'll be interesting to see what he does. But I agree with you. He probably fits best as a guy coming off the bench um, and it makes a lot of his weaknesses not as profound. You know, if he's taking a lot of ill-advised jumpers, that doesn't matter so much on the bench when you need guys that can just create offense and and sustain leads. Um, you know, his his defense, which is inconsistent, doesn't show up as much when he's going against, you know, less talented bench players and, you know, instead of going against uh, starting starting caliber guys. Um, but, you know, I like his athleticism, you know, something that the Mavericks really haven't had in their backcourt aside from Dennis Smith Jr. in the last couple of years. You know, West Matthew, Matthews, as hard as he played, you know, he was – very much a floor bound guy in his time here because of the Achilles injury. And even before that, he wasn't really a big leaper and Harrison Barnes is very athletic from a physical standpoint. But I think as we've said before and written in articles, he does, he's kind of got a stiffness to him. Uh, you know, like that play that Hardaway Jr. Had, I can't remember which game it was, but since the trade where he missed that three pointer and then kind of one motion chased it down and, and got a dunk kind of all in one fluid motion 
that's not something I could ever see Harrison Barnes doing, not because he can't physically do it, but just Hardaway Jr. just seems like a much more fluid athlete. And he seems like a more active guy off the ball uh, in terms of cutting and things like that. So there's something there. They can work with it and hopefully they can acquire a piece this summer that moves him to the bench. And that I think that'll make their roster a little more balanced uh, and even. One guy I'm really interested in that we just haven't seen play very much is Courtney Lee. Uh, he, he's only played 25 minutes in, in, in four games so far, but he's a career 39% three-point shooter. He you know profiles out to be exactly the kind of guy this team needs. A rangy, uh, a tall wing defender, who can hit the three. Now I, there's probably something going on that we don't necessarily know about. He, uh, after this year, you know, Lee has one more year on his contract at about $12 million. That seems like the, the kind of contract you would want to have on your books to be able to include in, in any sort of deals that could be made. I'm, I'm hopeful that he gets some sort of shot though, because you know, I remember his career in college. You know, you look at his career in the NBA, and the guy has played on. This is now his eighth team, but he seems to be, you know, the, the statistical profile of a guy that you'd want to have. I hope we get to see something with him as as we, you know, wind down the year. Just because, you know, he's he's taken up a pretty significant chunk of salary, and he seems to have skills that Dallas needs. Um, I really wonder what's going on. Maybe it's something we'll figure out uh, as, as the season winds down. Yeah. My best guess is that, uh, we kind of know what Courtney Lee is, you know, it seems like this period right now for the Mavericks, or at least with Carlisle's perspective, it seems like it's a lot of experimentation and seeing what you have with guys that weren't getting big minutes that now have an opportunity with Barnes and, and DeAndre and Wes and Dennis gone. There's so many more minutes opened up for guys that haven't played a lot. Mm-hmm. So I wonder if with with Lee, Rick kind of understands, hey, I know what I got in this guy. I've got a, a guy I can rely on as a defender, a wing defender, a guy I can rely on as a spot-up shooter, a guy I can rely on that will make smart plays and is a veteran and and can fit in on a, on a good team and doesn't need the ball a lot. And, it, you know, you're not really going to get – there's nothing you need to get from Courtney Lee in these last 25 games that you wouldn't already know. Uh, from his career, I think. So if he's still hurt at all, if that's part of it, maybe, you know, maybe that's part of it. But I almost feel like the Carlisle kind of knows, hey, I know what I got in this guy. What do I have in Dorian, at Dorian Finney-Smith that plays 30 minutes a night? You know, what do I have uh, with Tim Hardaway Jr. playing in our offense as opposed to playing in New York, which was really kind of an aimless, aimless team in, in the system, you know, and bouncing around. You know, what do I have in Trey Burke, who we might need to bring back because J.J. Barea busted his Achilles? You know, he might – that might be a guy they have to re-sign this summer, especially if Devin Harris retires. You know, with maybe with Courtney Lee, they're like, you know what, we don't – you know, we don't really need you to audition. You're going to be here next year. And, and he might be more helpful for the team next year because they'll be trying to win and they'll have more talent, and that's where kind of a role-player guy makes more sense. So maybe that's that's it. You know, otherwise I'm not too sure what's going on, like you said, but – um, I like him as a guy like you cannot have enough guys like him on your roster, just guys that can guard twos and threes and can hit spot up threes and you don't have to worry about making super dumb plays. Uh, I know he's kind of getting up there in age, but, you know, that's still valuable. That's really I hadn't really thought about that in terms of maybe they know what they have in him. 
I'm just so used to, to Rick Carlisle going to the old reliable guys that it seems like an odd thing for him to do. Who knows, though? I, I'm sure we'll figure something out. Well, you mentioned Trey Burke, and he has, for me, become probably the most interesting guy that's able to play right now out of this trade because he's he's going to be a free agent this offseason. He really fits what I kind of see as, as Carlisle's desire to have small guards <laughs> be on the team. But he, he's he's been fairly effective in the minutes that he's played. He He's... Yeah, I wish he would realize that when he's out there on the floor with Dirk Nowitzki, he should, you know, pass the ball to him. But that's about my my only complaint because the guy plays really hard. I I, I wonder if he is is the kind of guy that they consider bringing back on a cheap deal. Yeah, I like him too. And full disclosure, I had a big like college crush on him when he was in Michigan, and I think that was the year the Mavericks had the thirteenth pick and. I wanted to see if the Mavericks could get him and see maybe if he would drop at all. But, you know, he went in the top 10. Uh, he went ninth overall in 2013. I remember that. That was like the year of point guard runs where we were hopeful that like one of them would fall and none of them did. Right. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it was like him and Michael Carter G- Williams. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that, yep, them, those, right. Those guys. We were hoping that one of them would maybe get squeezed out of the of the top 10 or the top 12 and that never happened. So I've always been following Burke and hoping that he would be successful because he was just so fun to watch in college and he was so good in college. Um, and he, he seemed to be kind of bouncing back after a rough few starts uh, to his career. And he's kind of settled into like, he's, you know, you said a nice bench guy that isn't going to wow you necessarily, but can, can be somewhat steady as a shooter and a guy that can maybe run your offense for 10, 15, 18 minutes a night. And I think if J.J. Barea were healthy, this would be kind of a non-issue. And I think with him being a free agent, the Mavericks would kind of put him low in the totem pole in terms of their summer shopping priority list. But with Barea hurt, and I have to assume this is Devin Harris's last year. You know, we heard whis- you know whispers. You know, I think Tim Tim Cato, our former our former editor, uh, now at the Athletic, he's written that he thought De- Devin Harris might have retired. Last summer, and the Mavs kind of got him to come back. And if he retires, he'll have an assistant coaching job like almost immediately. So you almost feel like that might happen this summer. So with Berea out until presumably sometime in 2020, you would think when he would make his return, you know, being optimistic, uh, you know, the Mavericks are going to need another backup guard, you know, depending on what they do. Maybe they get, they sign a starting guard so that Brunson can be you know, their backup point guard. But even then, you know, Rick likes to have probably two guards that can that can run the offense coming off your bench. So with Harris, Harris's status next season really questionable. And with Berea hurt, you know, they'll pro- they'll bring him back. But, you know, with him hurt, you, you know, they need someone in the interim, probably besides Brunson and besides whoever they signed to start, if they do go that direction to soak up some guard minutes. And like you said, I've liked how Burke has looked. He's shot the three ball pretty well. He's had a couple of nice assist games. He does seem a little aimless in the pick and roll in the sense that doesn't always make the best decision, but uh, he seems solid and he's listed at six one, but he seems a lot bigger and longer than I remember. Like I, for some reason I always thought of him as like a really kind of pip squeaky kind of guard, but, and yeah, he's not necessarily big or huge or like a super athletic kind of guy, but he just seemed a little, 
his physical presence impressed me a little bit more than I remember as someone that hasn't really been watching every single one of his games the last couple of years. So that's kind of been a nice surprise. He, he just seems to fit in well in the minutes he gets. Sure, sure. I, I, the last guy who, who is, is that we haven't talked about yet came via uh, the Kings trade where we sent away Harrison Barnes and received back, uh, what was it, um, Justin Jackson and, and Zach Randolph. Oh, God, Zach Randolph. And so Jackson is an interesting one. You know, he was a 20, he was the 15th uh, overall pick by the Kings. And Kings fans, as far as I've been able to tell, either loved him so much that it was insane or they hated him. Uh, I think part of the problem seems to be that he simply didn't develop the same way a lot of their other younger guys were, and he simply didn't have a spot. I don't think he's as much terrible as he just doesn't seem to have uh, a specialty. He was, you know, he was a, a guy in North Carolina who was a pretty good scorer, but he also wasn't a distance shooter. So, like, the combination really makes him a, a little bit of a, a man without a country in the NBA right now. But like you said earlier, the Mavericks have, have really gotten good about taking guys who have, you know, physical profiles and turning them into, uh, you know, functional players. You know, Dwight Powell is a great example of this, as is Dorian Finney-Smith. Uh, you know, he's a guy that, that they they have you know, this year, next year, and then they, they have a team option for his final year. And it'll be kind of interesting to see what happens with him because in limited minutes, I've not really been impressed. You know, he looks like he looks like a, a, a like an ostrich, frankly. He's just, he's all limbs, but he's also like fairly smooth when he's running on the break. And, you know, it, it would be interesting to see him, you know, get to play with like a really qual like qualified passer like Luca and see you know what happens with him. He seems to move off the ball all right. Um, they they put him on James Harden at the end of the Rockets game and and James Harden baptized him repeatedly and that was pretty painful to watch. But yeah, he's just got that physical profile that you know you don't want to ignore it. Like he was a McDonald's All American in high school. Like there's something there. I just don't know if that something is enough to matter as Dallas looks to kind of improve in a hurry. Does that make sense? Yeah, for sure. And I wonder if the expectations for him now that he's in Dallas gives us, lets us give him a little bit more of a rope in terms of where he needs to be on the roster. Because for the Kings, you know, he was 15th overall pick and he was a position of desperate need. They really needed another small forward, a guy that can switch between the three and the four, you know, to put next to Darren Fox and then eventually, you know, Marvin Bagley. You know, they had a lot of bigs, they had a lot of guards. They really needed a swing forward that could swing between the three and the four. And so they really counted on him. And now with the Mavericks, he's basically like the throw-in to a trade that the main goal was to be a salary dump. So really anything he gives them, Jackson gives the Mavs, that is, it feels like a bonus. So the expectation level, you know, just isn't really there for him. So maybe without a fan base that necessarily is desperate for him to do something, he can kind of quietly try to work on his game and and try to get better and, and not have to worry about facing maybe as much scrutiny as he did in Sacramento, even though, you know, it is a smaller market. And I see, I, I wrote about this after the Rockets game. I see, I see kind of like J, some Jay Crowder in him. Uh, Kirk, please don't like pass out or hang up on me, but it's it's kind of weird because when Crowder was with the Mavericks 
the first year or two, he was always part of one of their best lineups, which was kind of like a mixture of bench guys uh, and Dirk. And he was really good in that role because he never had to be the best defender on the floor because they had Devin Harris and Vince Carter, who, you know, five or six years ago were pretty still pretty quality defenders. He never had to be the main offensive guy because he played with Dirk and, and you know another point guard and, and Brandon Wright was a rim really great rim roller in those lineups. And he you know he never had to be the main facility, you know, he never had to be the main anything. He just had to move the ball, play team defense, don't get burned, and maybe do some of the little things that guys like, you know, Dirk and Vince Carter are necessarily going to be doing because they have to shoulder so much more of the scoring load or, or things like that. And he fit in really well as like a guy that can spot up, move the ball, play some team defense. And I could kind of see Jackson fitting into that where he's never going to be the first, second, third, or maybe even fourth best player in your lineup. But as the fifth, you know, that you could kind of see that if you surround him with the right guys. And as a second or third wing off your bench, you could, I feel like you could do way worse. So it's, it's kind of interesting. You know, he might end up being, you know, a guy like, Crowder, who never puts up really impressive counting stats, but seems to make a difference in net rating and lineups and, and help win games. And, you know, that's fine. You know, he, like I said, he was basically a throw in in that Barnes trade. You know, the Barnes trade, the goal was get off Barnes's contract. So we can kind of move the team forward because we know Barnes is a top two guy is just not going to work. So everything he, Jackson gives is a bonus. And, you know, like you said, he's got the physical profile that you just can't give up on. And in the few games he's played, the few minutes he's played with the Mavericks, you know, he did get roasted by James Harden toward the end of that Houston game. But before that, he was part of the lineup that got the team back into it. And I could see him being like a guy that just kind of fits in, doesn't necessarily why you, you're going to look at the box score and never be impressed by him. But, you know, maybe his plus minus is good, you know, that kind of guy. And that seems all right for me, you know, as a second or third guy, you know, third wing off the bench. Yeah, I mean, overall, when, when we're talking about this, it's it's just it's so crazy that they have accelerated the rebuild exactly how Cuban said that he wanted to. You know, he didn't. He said he didn't want to rebuild, but they managed to basically, with a little bit of luck, and I mean, a lot of luck. That's how these things always work. They they are in. They have the framework to be you know, a playoff team next year. Like, I think that kind of has to be the goal. I, I hate to be – I'm normally a little bit of a negative Nancy, but at this rate, when you have guys that are this good as your foundation plus a, a healthy chunk of cap space to improve in specific areas, the Mavericks should should be should be something next year. I'm, I'm really – you know, I'm really excited. I don't know what I'm going to do with myself these final 25 games as we watch them kind of struggle to hold leads. But, you know, I'm just going to keep telling myself that next year is going to be awesome. Yeah. And it's just, we just kind of have to salivate and picture what Kristaps is going to look like next to Luca and do our favorite game of Mavericks with cap space over the summer and see how that turns out this time. Uh, that feels like the, 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 kind of foreboding looming cloud over what's going on right now is what exactly our Mavericks team that is motivated as hell to be a playoff team and has as much cap space as they've ever had. You know, what is that? What does that look like? What is that going to be? What are they going to turn that into? And we know how bad it can be, you know, from the past three, four, five seasons. So yeah, it's interesting. It's, it feels better. Um, I've written about it, you know, 
I really appreciate what Wes and and Barnes and even to a smaller degree, DeAndre Jordan did here and, and what they tried to do. And, you know, with Wes and Barnes, especially, you know, when Wes got here, he was not supposed to be in the situation that he was in. You know, he was supposed to be more of a role guy that got elevated because of the, the crappy things that happened with DeAndre and then Parsons getting hurt. And Barnes was here to basically sop up minutes while the team is bad and trying to, you know, accumulate the picks, you know, to get to Luca, you know, he did, he played as hard as he could, was a great guy in the community. It wasn't necessarily his fault, but it's fun. It's, I don't know if it's fun, but it's nice to know that the Mavericks were able to kind of put away any sentiments or any kind of emotion behind keeping guys like Barnes and Matthews. And they were able to understand, Hey, if we want to take the next step, we got to put all, all we've got behind Luca. We've got to move away the pieces that aren't working with him. We got to bring in pieces that will, and it was nice, you know, I think the thing that was stressing me out all season before these trades was what's going to happen when we get to the summer and no one wants to take the Mavericks money and out of desperation or out of, you know, lack of a better option, they bring back Wes. So they bring back DeAndre and they kind of spin the wheel again with a lot of pieces from a 24 win, you know, roster. So that was what worried me. So this is this is a considerable improvement from that worry, you know, a month ago. This is what's kind of crazy is, is you know, the Dallas Mavericks built a championship contending team on the strength of trades. They signed Eric Dampier with a, you know, huge chunk of cap space. But then after that, it was trades, 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 trades. And, you know, the, the, the front office and really, you know, owner Mark Cuban sold everybody with the new CBA following the uh, 2011 championship that they were the smartest guys in the room and they would be able to build the team. Realistically, that was garbage and everybody has cap space and everybody has, you know, a reasonably okay front office. I love that Dallas has returned to form and built a team through trades. That like we knew, we talked about this at least in our in our Mavs Moneyball Slack after 5 to 10 games that this was Luka Doncic's team. And it was so evident to everyone that he was the best player by 20 games. We all figured that it was going to take them another season and a half to really figure this out. You know, before the trade, we at most we were hoping was that they would build something with a framework of Dennis Smith Jr. and and Luca and maybe Dorian Finney-Smith. Like, that was kind of our, our aspiration, that they managed to get a potential franchise player with, you know, some draft picks and an undersized guard. And Dennis Smith is just is going to remain wild to me for a while. Uh, I, I just couldn't be in a better place with, with where the team is, and that is – it's just kind of something to celebrate. I mean, we were so happy when they got Luca, uh, you know, eight months ago. That this is this is even better. Yeah, it's it's a considerable win and it's a considerable upgrade over our mindset of where the team was going. You know, even like a month ago. And I think uh, one of the last things I want to say before we get out of here is, you know, Dennis is gone, and I know we've had some we've had some long debates and talks about Dennis on the site, on this podcast, on Twitter, everywhere. And while, you know, obviously the trade that they made to send him out and bring in Chris Tops is like objectively, unquestionably like great. And that's the move you make. You know, the Mavericks are going to need someone else this summer to 
run a pick and roll or to be someone that is a credible threat off the ball. And while in the two, you know, in the man, not even a full season that Dennis and Luca played, you know, it didn't work, but that doesn't necessarily mean that the need has disappeared. You know, the Mavericks still are going to need a guard that can play next to Luca that can guard ones and twos. Cause that's never going to be Luca's job and can run a pick and roll or can run some offense when teams throw uh, doubles at Luca. You know, we saw it in the heat game. I think he had three, three or four turnovers where the heat, they just straight up trapped him on the pick and roll because teams are starting, you know, they have figured out he is the best player on the team and they need to get the ball out of his hands because they would much rather have guys like Dorian Finney Smith or Maxi Kleba or Tim Hardaway Jr. Try to make the, make a play with the ball in their hands. And it's eerily similar to what, Teams were doing to Houston in the playoffs before they got Chris Paul. Teams were like, you know what? Let's just send everything, send the kitchen sink at James Harden because we don't think Trevor Ariza <laughs> with the ball in his hands and an open lane is going to make the right decision or he's going to dribble into a good play. Like we can handle that. We can live with that. Um, so obviously this isn't a concern necessarily yet. You know, the Mavericks have to crawl before they can walk. You know, they 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 have to show that they're a playoff contending team next season. So I might be putting the cart before the horse here a little bit in terms of worrying about this, but you know, just cause Dennis is gone and they made a great trade and moving him and bringing in a player that's unquestionably better and a better fit, they still have that need. And I think that's going to be a big thing to watch for this summer. Cause I could, I wouldn't be surprised if they spent some money to get a starting guard that uh, does a little bit more what they need from that spot than Brunson does right now, move Brunson back to the bench where he might be a little bit more comfortable. Uh, so that's kind of a thing I'm, not necessarily looking for in these last 25 games because the Mavericks don't really have it on the roster that can fill that role, but that's what I'll be thinking about watching the team and going into the summer. Well, I think we've kind of covered everything. This is, you know, <laughs> so, it's, 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 it seems so. Well, no, no, no. You know what? what? I do know what, what I want to talk about before we go. Okay. That the most the elephant in the room that's so big that we haven't even talked about it. This last 25 games of the season should focus on Dirk Nowitzki, Dirk Nowitzki, Dirk Nowitzki. He needs a, a, a little over 100 points to pass Wilt Chamberlain. He's playing on average like 12 minutes a night. The Mavericks need to give him more minutes. They need to give him more looks. And we need to give the guy the hero send-off that he deserves. I finally have come to terms with the fact that I think he's going to retire. I, I mean, I hope he doesn't. If he wants to come back, that'd be great. I've come to terms, you know, after that all-star game that he is, you know, ready. He, he, he wants to probably leave on his own terms and leave on a little bit of a high mark. And the Mavericks need to give him that opportunity. Enough of this four-minute stretch crap. They need to play him, and they need to play him enough and get him looks. You know, the, I, I heard a story from a fan that during the Cleveland game, Dirk, who didn't have a shot attempt that game, went to the bench screaming that Luka needed to pass him the damn ball. <laughs> well, let's give him the opportunity, is what I say. So let's, you know, let's let's make this a, a, a Dirk-centric final 25 games, you know, kind of circle back on the guy who brought us so much joy and really, you know, send him out with a bang in some way, shape, or form. Because, you know, we, we owe him just about everything in terms of our fan fandom and and you know that i i would like to see the mavericks do right by him you're absolutely board. right agree 100 percent. and the thing about dirt getting frustrated in that cleveland game that story from the fan that was at the game that makes a lot of sense because i bet 
you know, I don't necessarily think Dirk is happy. Like, I, you know, obviously he's a good good guy, good teammate. He's not going to like, he's not pouting or anything. But in the back of his head, you know, he came back this season. He could have retired after a clean 20. Um, I don't think he would have, you know, no one would have said anything bad. You know, everyone would have understood. But it felt like he came, like the main reason he came back this season was because he was so excited about Luca. He was excited about having DeAndre Jordan on the team. And I think he really believed that this team could have fought for an eight seed. And I think he had an idea that, hey, how great would it be for me to my last season to go out playing against, you know, maybe do, let's do one through one, eight gold versus golden state, but reverse it. And, and let's give it a go. And let me see if I can hit some shots in Oakland before I hang it up. And, you know, maybe not exercise that demon, but, you know, it'd be kind of a cool narrative bookend to his, to the end of his career. And instead the team is, you know, not that much, you know, it's, it's better than last year, but it is still going to be a struggle to get, to 35 wins maybe you know maybe 38 you know if they can get on a run here and he is probably and he mad about that and then you know his recovery from the ankle surgery is not go as expected so he hasn't been able to maybe play as much as he wanted to so when you combine all that you know i don't think this is how he envisioned going out barely playing 10 minutes a night on a team that's not in the play you know not really in the playoff hunt so I could see him being a little frustrated. So like, yeah, let's give him some minutes, give him some shots, let him, let him pass Wilt, get him to pass Wilt, make sure that happens, um, because it would be a, such a cool and, honor, and and he deserves it. And and you know the the sort of concerns that that everybody seems to have with him. Oh, he's slow. Oh, you know he he's not going to be able to defend. Like neither can Dwight Powell or Maxi Kleba. Like these sorts of things aren't fixed by other players on the roster. Dirk's a better rebounder than both those guys, even at this age, just because he knows kind of where to go for the ball. So, like, I'm not really worried about the wins losses thing, particularly if they're gonna if if you know they come out of this this stretch and and you know lose four straight, which seems you know in the cards, despite the fact how Dallas always seems to kind of be in the mix. So it's one of those things that I hope that that you know they they just kind of come to their senses on because. You know, whatever happened with his injury, they brought him back a little, you know, they brought him back as slow as possible, and then they threw him in the lineup at the worst possible time at one of the worst stretches against teams that are built to take advantage of slow people. So I I think Dirk looked worse than he was for a long time, and then it just kind of, you know, shots weren't falling, which happens, but, you know, you got to give, you got to give one of the best scorers in NBA history looks. Like, like it just, it, the way they've handled this has not been perfect. And it's been, ha, had Luca not been on the team, this probably would have been a bigger story, like you said. So, you know, let's, let's just really lean into this. It's something I think our, our site's going to be pushing for just because, you know, we, we want this. And I think we're all, you know, do we, Dirk wants it too. So, so, you know, maybe, maybe this will be the thing to watch for the last few games. Yeah, it'll be fun. Uh, I'm not emotionally ready for that last home game. I think in April it'll be weird, uh, but like, but like you, I've come to terms with this finally being it. Uh, you know, I well that that All Star section. I'm not sure if you caught it live because I told myself I wasn't going to watch the game. Then because I'm a sucker, I tuned in anyways. And then he enters the game with Wade, which you know we we could have a 40 minute conversation <laughs> about the fact that these two keep getting paired up. Like Dwayne Wade is, you know, the Ken Burns documentary that's going to come out on Dwayne Wade's retirement ought to be fucking terrible. Um, and and oh shoot, I'm not supposed to. That's cuss. okay. But you know, he he comes in and he just he buries two 
ridiculous threes. I know no one's playing defense, but those were Steph Curry range. Then after the quarter break, he comes back in and hits one more. I mean, this guy is still so good at basketball. Maybe he doesn't have the foot speed, but that skill's not going to leave. And I, I just, I, I want to see that more. Yeah, same here. And you talk about that All Star game. It's really funny. Is nine points, three of three from three. That's one of the best All Star games of his career ever. He's ever had <laughs> the one in Dallas. Do you remember how painful that was? Like everybody tried to kind of like make him the MVP because it was in yeah. Dallas and then Carmelo and took the last shot and said to him. So terrible. Yeah. I mean, not, like outside of that game, I think nine is one of his higher ones. So that's pretty. I, it's. I think he's ready. Give him some shots. He didn't look terrible during the three point contest. You know, he got through, got through the rack in enough time. So yeah, let's see it. I want to see. You know, in that Miami game before the break, he had fourteen shots, ten threes. He missed a lot, but that's kind of what I need to be seeing in these last twenty five games. I agree. I want I want Dirk shooting more than I want Trey Burke shooting. That's I agree. Amen. Uh, with that, I think that's a good wrapping up point. Good stopping point. Uh, I think we covered what we wanted to talk about. We'll try to be back on a more regular scheduled basis. Now that I've got my ducks in a row with our kind of new partnership with SB nation and our new feed and new uploading process and all that stuff, you know, nothing will change for you guys, but you know, just kind of more different backend work for me now. Uh, but it's fun. We'll keep it rolling. Try to keep it weekly. Uh, as we've been doing in the past when we we're on it. Uh, so Kirk, thanks for taking some time. Uh, I know it's always, it's always good for you to come on and especially with the East coast uh, time difference. I appreciate you hopping on late at night. Uh, you know, we'll talk soon again. Awesome. Thank you. Uh, thank you guys for listening. Uh, this is the Mavs Moneyball podcast. We will see you guys next week.